Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. up on our series today on the 12 minor prophets and today we're looking at the book Jonah when you think of the book of Jonah what comes to mind big fish so many people are like whale doesn't actually say that it was a whale that's from veggie tales but we immediately think of a big fish so I have a question for you this morning and here's my question it's kind of the real question that we should think about when we read the book of Jonah. Was the great fish more relieved to be rid of Jonah than Jonah was to get out of the great fish? How many people have ever had indigestion? Right? You've eaten something and you're like, I should not have eaten that. This is what I'm guessing this great fish did. He ate Jonah... And then for three days, the food that he ate would not digest. So it's one of the great questions. We're not going to answer that question today. But you can discuss that at lunch. Now that I realize I probably put put lunch and Jonah being tossed back out of the whale together. But you guys enjoy your lunch together. See, when we look at Jonah, we have to realize that Jonah was a real person. There are some people that try to just be like, does this story actually happen? Was there a person swallowed by a great fish, lived in the fish for three days? Now, many of us, when we think of Jonah as well, we see images where, uh, if you looked, watched Veggie Tales, where a lot of us have our theology from. Um, if you watch it, you see him kind of sitting in the whale, and he's kind of just, I just said whale, see? Talk about veggie tales. He's sitting in the great fish, and you kind of see him comfortable and relaxed and everything. Let's be honest. He is in a stomach. There is acid. There are bones floating around. There are other fish in there that are actually being digested. There is not three days of a retreat happening. He is not having three days of a beautiful time resting in God's presence right? So Jonah is an actual real person. It's not just the book of Jonah that he is mentioned. If you look at 2 Kings 14 and 25, it says this, for he was one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebanon, Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amate, the prophet of gath Hefer. So Jonah was around Jonah was around for King Jeremiah II. He was the son of Joseph. Jeremiah II reigned for 41 years. And you see him in verse 40, uh, 24 that he says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So this king is not a good king. And the reign of this king was from the time of, it brought great prosperity to Israel. And the nation gained lost territory and expanded both of its boundaries and influence. But it was also a time of moral moral and spiritual decay 
as the nation rapidly moves away from God and into idolatry. So we see that the leader brought a lot of great things, territory, finances, prosperity, but he also led them away from God and walked them away from God. So while Jonah had a ministry in Nineveh, a leading city in um, Assyria, he also had a ministry to Israel through this little book because he discovers something. He discovers something that the Israelites didn't know. He discovers God's compassion for those outside of Israel. Even those who were their enemy. So God has for compassion for people outside of these walls. This is what Jonah became to be aware of. God had called his people to be a blessing to the Gentiles. But like Jonah, the Jews refused to obey. And like Jonah... They had to be disciplined. And this is why they would be uh, conquered and the Babylon would take Judah into captivity. Jonah's book magnifies the sovereignty of God as well as the love and mercy of God. Jonah is the book, uh, Jonah talks about Jehovah and that God is the God of second chances. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm thrilled that God is a God of second chances. I'm thrilled that God is a God of mercy and grace. And so as we go to look at Jonah and learn from Jonah, let's just take a moment and pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God of second chances. That God, as we look at Jonah and and how he behaved and how he responded to you and your mercy and your grace on his life, Pray, Father, you speak to each and every one of us in this room and watching online. Lord, I pray that every one of us will leave here a little bit transformed, that, Lord, you will challenge us, you will encourage us, but you will change us in Jesus' name. And so, Father, speak to us. Hide me behind your cross. Let my words be your words. Speak through me today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, when we think of Jonah going to Nineveh, A lot of times, we don't really know about Nineveh. Who was Nineveh? Where was Nineveh? All these different things. See, Nineveh was not a small place. According to Genesis 10, there was a multiple different cities all involved in this place. About four of them. It's like a metropolis pulled together. There's about 120,000 people there. And scriptures tell us, In Jonah 3, verse 3 and 4, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. We have to realize, if it takes three days to walk through a city, that's a big city. So Jonah's going through the city, proclaiming the message of God. 40 days, and this place is going to be overthrown. Nineveh also, though, was great in sin. It was an enemy of the Israelites. The Assyrians were known far and wide for their violence. So you have to understand, as Jonah is going there, Proclaiming God's word in 40 days, this place is going to be overthrown. 
He also knows the heart of God. He knows that if these people repent, God will save them. So I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to think, and I know you're all Christians, so you're an automatic default answer, especially in the house of God, is I don't have one. But I want to think of an enemy. I want you to think of one of your enemies. Right? Every one of you, oh, I'm a Christian, I don't have one. I want you to think of that person that just rubs you the wrong way. The person where, if you're not talking to other Christians, you might actually say, you know what, one day they're going to get theirs. I know none of us have thought this way. But I want to read to you what Nineveh is known for. Now, none of your enemies, I believe, are this bad. So you might all of a sudden walk out of here just transformed right now going, I actually don't have any enemies. What they were known for far and wide was their violence, showing no mercy to their enemies, which is the Israelites. They impaled live victims on sharp poles, leaving them to roast to death in the desert sun. They would behead people by the thousands and stack their skulls up high in piles by the city gates. They would even skin people alive. They didn't respect neither age nor sex and followed, and followed a policy of killing babies and young children so they wouldn't have to care for them. Now, none of us have enemies. But these are the people that Jonah is being sent to minister to. See, when we read the book of Jonah, we immediately are like, this is a prophet, this is a servant of God. How does he turn and run the other way? But when you begin to read what they used to do to the Israelites, we begin to understand Jonah a little bit more. We begin to understand why Jonah doesn't want to go and save these people. See, it was a very wicked city. And all that God says, I'll send you, and I'm assuring you that I'll give you a message to speak. All of us understand that Jonah didn't listen, and he rebelled against God. But because of his rebellion against God, a few things happened to Jonah. I know many of us are like, yeah, he got swallowed by a great fish. Well, no, that's how God got his attention. But see, he lost the voice of God. He couldn't hear God speak to him. That's why God actually sent a storm to get his attention instead of speaking. You ever wonder if you're in a storm that maybe God's just trying to speak to you because you turned him off? He lost his spiritual energy. He should have had energy from God to do what he needed to do. But when he got to the boat, he went down underneath and he just slept into such a deep sleep that the storm that had sailors scared didn't wake him. He even lost his power in prayer. If you read it, you see that the sailors prayed. 
They called out to their gods, but Jonah didn't even pray. Because he knew. He knew why the storm was there. He knew what the solution was. He knew what the problem was. So he didn't have to pray. You ever ask yourself, is the storm I'm in because of a choice I made? Is the storm I'm in because God's trying to speak to me? See, he even lost his testimony through it. See, Jonah means dove. And dove is a symbol of peace, but he didn't want to bring peace to his city. He didn't want to deliver a city. He actually wanted the city destroyed. I don't know you, but there's parts of Jonah's life that if I'm honest with you, there's times where I think the same way. Do we want everybody saved? The person who hurts you, the person who you still pray about and pray, God, forgive them, but God, I don't understand why this ever happens in my life. If God showed them mercy and grace, would we identify with Jesus and celebrate or would we identify with Jonah just a little bit? And then something happened. Then Jonah repented. And there's some things that Jonah, to repent, that will teach us. And this is what we want to look at today. When Jonah repented, he prayed for God's help. He prayed for God's help. Many of us in this room, we've already prayed a little bit. We've, we've worshipped. We've declared But some of us are in situations, let's call them storms, just to connect with Jonah for a minute. Maybe you're in a storm. And you're not sure how to get out of the storm. The first step is to pray and ask God for help. He prayed. But just like many of us, His prayer was born out of an affliction, not an affection. He didn't pray out of an affection for God. He prayed out of an affliction of being stuck in the stomach of a great fish. How many of us are praying in that moment? How many of us are taking three days to get to that prayer? I don't know about you. I can be very stubborn and bullheaded. I'm saying it on this side because I don't need Melissa to agree while I'm looking at her. (laughs) But I can be very stubborn and bullheaded. Anybody else in the room? If your spouse didn't raise their hand, you can just give them a little nod. I'm just teasing. If you're not raising your hand, it's probably because you're stubborn and bullheaded. How stubborn do you have to be 
to be in the stomach of a great fish for three days before you pray. Now, how stubborn are we to be in the same situation, the same difficulty, the same problem that we were three years ago that we thought we got out of because the other person was the problem, and now we're back in it? Anytime I'm in a problem, anytime I'm in a situation, I will be stubborn, I will be bullheaded, I'm not going to lie to you. But at some point, I will finally realize that I'm probably part of the problem. And that's when we let God work on us. And if I let God work on me here, two years from now, six months from now, pick your timeline, I'm not going to be over here dealing with the same issue because I let God deal with me there. See, like many of us, Jonah saw the will of God as something to turn to in an emergency, not something to live every day of one's life. God's not an emergency. He's not an ejection handle. He's not something we go to in desperation. He's a relationship. It's an affection we're supposed to have to want to be close to him, to want to walk with him every day. Where's B commentary? It says this. It's good for God's people. I, put, I included this. There was a part of me that wanted to pull this part out and just skip it, but I'll say it. It's good for God's people, that's all of you, and especially preachers. I don't know why he had to say that. He could just say God's people. That's all of us. But then he says, especially preachers, to remember what it's like to be lost and without hope. How easy it is for us to grow hardened towards sinners and lose our compassion for the loss. As he dropped Jonah into the depth, God was reminding him of the people of Nineveh were going through in their sinful condition. They were helpless and hopeless. Every once in a while, it's good for God's people, especially preachers, to remember what it's like to be lost and without hope. We need to remember the grace God is showing us. It helps us to show grace to others. When you remember the mercy and grace God is showing you, I don't know about you, but I need his mercy and grace every day. Do you know from my family, I need their mercy and grace every day. So what I try to do is make sure that I extend mercy and grace to my family. When we remember 
what God has given us grace for, what he has forgiven us, how we have messed up, how we have hurt people, what we have done, it helps us to forgive others. It helps us to forgive others. Jonah prayed for God's help. The second thing that Jonah did was he accept God's discipline. He accept God's discipline. See, Jonah, the sailors didn't cast Jonah into the sea. The person who threw God, or Jonah into the sea was God. We read this in Jonah 2, 3. This is Jonah praying to God. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. This is Jonah acknowledging that God was disciplining him, and he deserved it. How many of us have kids, when we were really young, how many of you ever were disciplined by your parents? Right? If you don't have your hand up, two things. You're either lying or you're stubborn and bullheaded. Now, when you were a little kid and you were disciplined by your parents, how many of you liked it? Right. Second question. Looking back, how many of us that are older remember being disciplined and now look back and go, oh, yeah, I deserve that? Right? I was going to tell a story. I shouldn't. My mom probably might watch this, so I won't tell a story. But Jonah, he was getting disciplined by God. Charles Spurgeon, he says this, God never allows his children to sin successfully. God will not let you sin successfully. Well, Chad, you don't know what's going on in my life. I know. And if you don't deal with it, if you don't repent, get help, ask God to help you, get closer to God so you get more of the fruit of the Spirit, the sin will be exposed. Why? Because God actually doesn't allow us to sin successfully. Doesn't matter how many years, it will happen. It will come exposed. Jonah is proof of this. We need to understand something. I'm going to step on toes here, and I understand that, but don't worry, I have some scripture here to support it. We need to understand that some of our bad situations are from our own bad choices. Now, God can be merciful to help you get out of those situations. But sometimes we have to own the fact that we put ourselves in it. Melissa prayed this morning, Lord, forgive us of the times that we got our hands on things we shouldn't have. You need to repent. We need to understand some of the difficulties that we are in is our own choices. They can be consequences for our choices. Okay, or they can be God's correction. God still will correct and discipline us today. Hebrews 12, 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. I want to read for you 
Hebrews 12, 5 to 11. Just so you see how that verse fits in. This is what Hebrews 5 to 11 says. And have you completely forgotten his, this word of encouragement that addresses you as a, as a father addresses his son? Let's hold there for a minute. I want you to look here. The first word on the second line. Encouragement. So what we are about to read is an encouragement to you and me. Okay? Give you a heads up. We're reading about being disciplined by God. And it's an encouragement. All right? Just see how this starts off. So to understand God's heart behind this. It is an encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. Continuing in verse 5. My son, do, my, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his child. For what children are not disciplined by their father, right? Are we all good so far? What child is not disciplined by their father? Every father in this room, every father that has lived, has disciplined their child with the heart of bringing correction and goodness to them. Verse 8. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. When the Lord disciplines us, when we go through hardship, we should look at it as discipline. We should actually be joyful because then it means we're actually his children. If we don't go through discipline, it actually means we're not his children. Does this shift your thought process on challenges in your life? Does it shift your thought process a little bit on some of the hardships you've gone through that you can look back and go, man, I really learned through that. God really actually built me up through that. Verse 9. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who discipline us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. In order that we may share in his holiness, he disciplines us for our good so that we can be holy like he is. This is how he corrects us. This is how he molds us and shapes us. Verse 11 is where we all are and what we have to agree. This is the truth. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Amen? Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace 
for those who have been, this is the, one of the most important words here, trained by it. See, if you are disciplined and you're not trained by it, remember how I said you deal with it here, you think you're out of it, but you're dealing with it again, it's because you weren't trained by it. Some of us need to pause and not ask God to get us out of the storm. Not get us out of the fire. But ask God what he's teaching us in it. One of the greatest examples that I believe is in the scriptures is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Jesus didn't show up for them until they were in the fire. Their prayer actually was, what they declared was, our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. How many of us, if we were one of them, bound up, getting closer and closer to the furnace, seeing some of the soldiers who are taking us there falling and dying, how many of us are praying already, Lord, you could show up any second? Any time now, God. God, I'm really starting to feel that warm up my toes. You can show up any moment. And then being tossed into the fire. Every one of us has a timeline for God. God, we need you to deliver us from this situation. We need you to have breakthrough. We need you to move. We need your presence. We need you to change our situations. We need you to provide. We need you to do all these things, and we need it by this time. I don't know how close to the furnace was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's time, but I'm willing to bet on it right here, right now, that it was not in it. But they left that furnace not even smelling like smoke. The situation that you're in right now, you will walk out of it with no aroma. God will get you through it if you trust him, if you repent and you walk with him and allow him to teach you. You will get out of the situation with no aroma on you from it. Chad, I'm just nervous about my character. If you let God walk you through it and speak to you and train you through it, your character will not come into question. But what will people think? I believe you can hang on to some of the promises of God that you can walk through it and not even smell from it. It will not affect your life. See, most of us don't like reading about God's discipline. There are some believers that will say, well, God doesn't discipline his children anymore. That's more Old Testament. This is Hebrews in the New Testament. This is where we're called children of God, where Jesus taught us to call him father, and now he disciplines us as a father does. Well, Chad, I don't know if that's the God I serve. That's okay. He is the God of the Bible. 
And there are times where he has disciplined me, where he has corrected me. Why? Because I stepped out of what he asked me to do, just like Jonah did. But most of us don't want to admit that we can be Jonah. When we understand that Jonah is not that far from us, then we begin to understand how God will work in our hearts and in our lives. But you need to read that scripture and understand that it's for our good. Look at some of these verses. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his child. It's confirmation you're one of his. Verse 8, if you are not disciplined, then you are not a legitimate. You are not true sons and daughters. I don't know about you, but I want to be a son of God. If you want to be a son of God, if you want to be a daughter of God, then you have to accept the fact that he may discipline you. Because I know that's what good parents do. Verse 10, God disciplines us for our good. For your good, for my good, in order that we will share in his holiness. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. How we respond to discipline determines how much we benefit from it. So when Joseph repented, third thing he did was he yielded to God's will. Many of us need to yield to God's will. He yielded to God's will. He went to Nineveh and he shared God's warning, which was 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The people repented and Nineveh was spared. Some theologians wonder, how did they respond so quickly to Jonah's cry? When you really read it, it was a simple thing. He walked through it. All that is recorded that he said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be thrown over. Some theologians are, will argue that did people see Jonah get thrown up on shore? So he walked in with this story of here comes the man that just got thrown up out of a large fish on the shoreline. Or was his skin actually affected by being in the stomach for so long? Was his skin almost bleached because of the acid in his stomach? Did he look different? Either way, they can argue all about it. But his message was responded to so quickly. The king declared a fast for everyone, even the animals. And the city was spared. Now, if we ended the book of Jonah right there, it's a good story. Something that we can learn from and celebrate. But here's the thing with Jonah. Jonah is just like you and me. He's stubborn and bullheaded. He went and did what God wanted him to do just to get out of the stomach of the great fish, which many of us will pray, okay, God, you get me out of this. I will do whatever you ask me to do. But I'm just not going to be happy about it. Jonah, chapter 4, verse 1 says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. So we go back. 
to that person who hurt you, that person who upset you, the person who, when you think about them, you get upset, you get angry, you get frustrated, you get edgy, and you don't know why. A person walks in the room, and you're already kind of like, they showed up. That person. See, the moment I say that, all of you are like, oh, that's what Chad's talking about. Would you be okay if they were your neighbor in heaven? Would you be okay with after what they did to you? And I'm not downplaying what they did to you. I don't know what they did to you. I'm not downplaying what they did to you. But God has the same mercy and grace for them as he does for the city of Nineveh. He's willing to save them. He's willing to forgive them. Many times, the heart of the problem can be the problem of our hearts. Many times, the heart of the problem can be the problem in our hearts. We have unforgiveness. We have jealousy. We have envy. We have bitterness. The list can go on and on and on. Yet whatever it is, if we don't want to see others blessed or shown grace, we have to realize there's something in our heart. See, as Jonah sat on the hillside overlooking the city and is angry at God, God actually grows a plant to give him shade. I want you to envision this for a moment. Envision you go to the beach, you sit down, and you realize, I forgot my umbrella. And all of a sudden, God just goes, no problem. How many of you read the Bible, you read the story of Jonah, that part you're just like, oh yeah, that is what happened. It like flew up. It wasn't there, it's there. This is the stuff in the scriptures that just makes me go, this is an incredible God. I'm totally sidetracked. But out of nowhere, You're like, man, I wish I had shit. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And then God does something amazing and so frustrating. He sends a worm. Now, let's understand as well. This thing grew really fast, and then he sent a worm. Again, this is my brain. If you're new to Bethel, you'll find out my brain is weird. But very quickly, the worm kills this tree or this branch or whatever he grew. How big is this worm? Like, realize in this story, a great fish showed up, swallowed him whole. What kind of worm showed up? Like, at some point, Jonah's just going to get unimpressed with large things God does. Oh, there's a large fish. Oh, look at the size of this sinking worm. I could catch the, the fish with this worm. So now Jonah's mad about the plant. And God asks him this question, Jonah 4, 10 and 11. You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. 
It sprung up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, also many animals. And that's it. That's how the book ends, on a question. How many people like watching a movie, and it ends on a cliffhanger, and you know they're only doing it, so you come back and watch another movie two years from now? There's no Jonah part two. The book ends on a question. We don't hear Jonah's answer. And here's the actual truth. The real issue isn't how Jonah answers God's question. The real issue is, how are you and I answering God's question today? Do we agree with God that people without Christ are lost? Like God, do we have compassion for those who are lost? If you've answered yes, then how do we show this compassion? How do you show this compassion? Do we have concern for those in our great cities or in our city where there is much sin and so little witness? Do we have compassion? Do we pray that the gospel will go to the people in every part of the world? And are we helping send them there? What are your answers today? How do you respond? Do we rejoice when sinners repent and trust the Savior? All of those questions and more are wrapped up in what God asked Jonah. Now here's the thing. We can't answer for Jonah, but we can answer for ourselves. And so where is your answer? Do we have compassion for the lost? Do we want to see those who hurt us saved? Are we going to go and share compassion and forgiveness so that we can be a light for Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your forgiveness and your grace in my life. Thank you, Father, you're willing to forgive me again and again. Lord, help us to know when you're getting our attention. Help us to see those areas where, Lord, we need to repent and give back to you. Lord, those people that we need to show grace to, that we need to show mercy to. Help us to love them. Lord, speak to our hearts. Show us where the problem areas of our hearts are. And help us to be a light for you. Help us to shine bright for you. Let us be your witness. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.